Hello everyone and happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there and also a special happy day to all our wonderful New Peninsula women and girls. I'm looking forward to joining with those of you who are able to be part of our New Peninsula Ladies Brunch at 11 o'clock today. The last couple of weeks we've looked at our personal prayer life and our relationship with God. And one of the things that's also been on my heart is for us as a church to prioritise our focus on praying together. Sadly, we're not able to all be together at the moment, but we'll have a look at some ways we can pray with others right now, and that'll be in preparation as well for when we are back together again. You know what? I can't wait for that day to come. I've thought about what that day will be like and I reckon you won't be able to get a word out of me because I'll be so overjoyed and emotional. And I'm sure I won't be the only one. So let's have a look at what the Bible says about praying together. Before we go to today's scripture, we'll have a look at what's happened leading up to it. In Acts 3, we read that Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray when they heal a crippled man. Now the crowds going into the temple were absolutely amazed at this healing and Peter tells them it was due to the power of the resurrected Jesus. Then Peter goes on to give a sermon about Jesus, his resurrection and his saving power. Now because the authorities are wanting to stop the spread of the gospel, Peter and John are brought before them because of their testimony about Jesus. But honestly, you have to feel a bit sorry for these authorities. Here they are condemning what Peter's saying when the man who was born lame is standing completely healed right there in front of them. I mean, how crazy is that? It'd be like a goal umpire standing right in the middle of the goalposts, watching the footy sail straight over his head for a dead set goal and then signalling a point. Can you imagine the reaction of the crowd if that were to happen? And so with the reality of the healed man standing right in front of them and the witness and excitement of the crowd, the worst that the authorities could do was to threaten Peter and John and tell them to stop preaching in Jesus' name. So Peter and John are released and we come to verse 23 of Acts 4, which is the beginning of what's called the Believer's Prayer. And this prayer is a great model for us. It helps us to align ourselves with the things we need to focus on as a gospel-centred church. So let's read from verse 23 of Acts 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city 
to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. In that reading, did you notice that Peter and John went back to their own people and reported to them all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them? And as a praying church, we need to be communicating with each other as well if we're to be effective in prayer. We're part of a family, so it's only natural to share our trials and our joys, our successes and failures, so that then we can pray for and encourage each other and pray together about what's going on in our church. It's interesting to see in Acts 1 that the church there is praying to seek God's decision for an important leadership matter. And as we search for a new senior pastor, I encourage us to be following their example. You know what? I don't think it would have occurred to these believers in Acts not to pray. Prayer was such an integral part of their life together. And that's my prayer for us as well. Did you also notice that when the apostles went back to be with the other believers, they didn't call for a meeting to talk about, discuss and brainstorm a plan uh, on how they were going to handle these threats. Instead, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I wonder, is prayer our first port of call as a church? Sure, look, meetings and using the brains and gifts that God has given us, that's all important. But do we go first of all to God? I love the way these believers start their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and earth and sea and everything in them. They didn't start with their situation, their troubles or their fear. Instead, they address their prayer to the creator, the one who is sovereign over everything. They show us that we come to, when we come together in prayer, who we are isn't the focus, but who God is. And that we don't come asking for what we want, but for what God wants. Now for us today, we may not have religious leaders against us, but we do have the opinion and judgment of many in our society against our beliefs and our conviction that Jesus is the only way, truth and life. We also have the same ultimate enemy that the church has always had. And Satan wants nothing more than to see the church divided and not praying. So as God's church, 
we need to acknowledge the divine, supernatural power of God in our midst if we're to stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil and to move forward in the kingdom. Listen to what Samuel Chadwick, a Methodist minister in the 1800s, had to say about prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. In Psalm 25 and 26, we see that Psalm 22 is quoted. And they say that you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. These followers of Jesus recognised that just as the heathen authorities and people had stood against Israel's King David in the past, the authorities of their time had stood against Jesus, the Messiah. And because they knew God's word, they were able to reapply it in the light of their own experience. And so they were able to remind themselves yet again that God always has been, still is, and always will be in control. In the same way, when we come together in prayer, let's make sure that we know God's word and that we're ready to pray it. Not because God needs to be reminded of his word, but because we need to be reminded of his word, of his power, and his faithfulness. In verses 27 and 28, these believers then comment on what was just quoted from Psalm 22. And again, they apply it to their current time as they mention those who oppose Jesus. And again, they come back to the fact that all these things that happened against Jesus were still under God's control and part of his will. And because of this, they could now bring their own situation before God, confident that this was also under his control. And so they pray in verses 29 and 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Wow, what a prayer. We need to remember that this isn't long after these same authorities had Jesus crucified. And that memory was still really fresh in these people's minds. And yet, their prayer is for God to enable them to speak his word with great boldness. You know what, I'm humbled by that prayer. If I'd been in their situation, I reckon I'd probably have asked God to intervene and to protect me and to give me a way out of being persecuted and maybe even killed. And so I need your prayers 
if I'm to be more like these believers. And you need mine as well. We need to be praying as a church for God's enabling and empowering through his Holy Spirit. We need to be praying for each other that we'll be a people of God who focus on speaking his word and truth with great boldness. In the Greek translation, the word boldness means speaking openly with free and fearless confidence and cheerful courage without a lot of confusing words. That bit about not using confusing words really gels with me. I like to keep things simple. And so when I'm in conversation with highly academic people who use big words, I've mastered the wise looking nodding of the head when I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) You'll all be looking at me now to see when I'm wisely nodding my head. We also see these followers of Jesus praying for healing and miracles in Jesus' name to continue. And we can be assured that today, people will still be healed. Families will be transformed. Lives will be given meaning and hope in the name of Jesus as we faithfully come together in prayer, seeking God's will and leading for the part he wants us to play as his church. In verse 31, we see God's response to this prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. These people experienced a powerful move of God. The Holy Spirit empowered them And they were given the confidence to be able to do what they'd asked for. And that was to speak the word of God boldly. And God not only demonstrated his power and presence, he moved within their hearts and in their faith as well. John Stott writes, they were shaken to be made more unshaken. I pray we'll become more and more a church that's shaken by God's Holy Spirit to be more unshaken in our commitment to pray. And finally, we come to verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were united in their devotion to the Lord and sharing the truth of his gospel. And where the Holy Spirit is invited to be present in grace and power, there will be a divine unity amongst us. A unity that we can't organize or manufacture because it's actually a product of heaven. If we truly want to be a praying church, showing a lost world that Jesus is Lord and that he is the only way, then it's essential we show ourselves as united and devoted to one another. Jesus said in John 13, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love 
for one another. And he prayed for our unity in John 17, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Max Licardo, the well-known Christian author, wrote this comment about prayer. Prayer only makes sense when you have quit trying to do ministry yourself. I've learned that as things go smoothly, I pray less. As our goals shrink, I pray less. As things become more manageable, I pray less. But as we reach out, stretch ourselves, and tackle God-sized dreams, I pray more. I wonder if this explains why we can have trouble praying like the New Testament church. Maybe our dreams are too small. Or we think our church goals are easily reached by our own abilities and knowledge. Well, I think we'd all agree, especially in the season that we're in right now, that we're realising that, you know what, we're actually not in control. But we can be more like the believers in Acts. We can be a church turning to prayer, seeking first of all to acknowledge God for who he is, acknowledging that he is in control and that we can rely on him and trust him. Just like in the last two weeks, let me close with a few practical ways to move towards unleashing the power of community in our prayer lives. First of all, in this season, we need to be creative in how we get together to pray. Maybe meeting on by phone or Zoom or Skype or some other social medium with one other person or, or maybe a group of people. It might be going on a walk as a family or with one other person and praying as, as you're walking along together. Some of our life groups are still catching up through social media. Our wonderful op shop leader, Kaz Taylor, is encouraging the op shop volunteers to pray and she's actually set aside a time for anyone to join her in praying at seven o'clock every night for 19 minutes. She chose that because it's easy to remember with COVID-19. And this isn't meeting physically together, but it's a time when a number of people are praying at the same time and aware that others are praying as well. Keep an eye on the Navigate as our elders will soon be providing the opportunity for us to come together in corporate prayer on Zoom. And look, I'm sure that there are other ways that you've come up with to join with others and pray. And we'd love to hear about them uh, so that we can encourage others with your ideas as well. Now, I'm aware that not all of us find it easy to focus when we're praying with others. So here's some more practical ideas that may be helpful. When someone else is praying, remember that God is present in each person we're praying with. So we need to concentrate on their prayers to hear what God is saying to all of us. 
When someone leads us in pastoral prayer during a service, we can kind of mentally check out. And it is often a single voice prayer, but it's also a time for community prayer as we listen and affirm what's being prayed. To help us focus and to be part of the pastoral prayer, we can affirm the prayers non-verbally by nodding our head in agreement, maybe holding up your hand as an acknowledgement that we're all praying to God, or maybe even kneeling. We can also affirm pastoral prayer verbally with amens and yes, lords, or thank you, Jesus. Also, when we meet together, we can help ourselves focus by writing down the requests and the themes as they're being prayed. There is a risk when we come together to pray that we'll spend all our time talking about prayer. We've all been there and done that. We start talking about what we want to pray about, and that's a good thing. But an hour later, it's time to go home and whoops, we haven't actually prayed. And as we enter into prayer with others, expect that God has great things for us because he does. And this will inspire and motivate and bring an air of hope into our times of community prayer. As we've seen in the example of prayer in Acts 4, there's great power in a church who prays together. Here's an interesting thought. If someone was writing the history of our church in this season, would prayer be one of our top characteristics? Would we be known for our faithful prayer as the body of Christ? Church, we are a continuation of the story of the church in the book of Acts. We are the church on mission to the world to bring the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community. And together, as the church of Jesus Christ, we make a difference. As we close the message today, we have the opportunity to join together now in prayer as we pray the Lord's Prayer. You'll find the words on the screen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.